Have you seen me dice bag? The Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirk the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. And today, episode 50, part 3, is all about fighting fantasy, but it's not quite ready yet. I'm still working on one of the segments, but I couldn't let a month go by without a grog pod. So I've recorded this extra in the room of role-playing rambling with our resident rules lawyer, Judge Blythe. At this time of the year, we're getting ready for grog meat. Alongside the podcast, we have an annual meet-up in Manchester in November and the virtual grog meet that we organise in April. This time, as a pandemic provision, we're running the two side by side. Grog Meet-ish is a virtual online event and Grog Meet, M-E-A-T, is in meat space. See what we did there. Me and Blythe get nostalgic about the event that we've been running since 2016. We have some tips for you in case you would like to organise a similar event. We talk about the thorny subject of working out a fair way for people to select the games that they want to play and we walk through the itinerary and share our current levels of preparation. Also in this podcast is Tom McCambly who has been playing solo games with me over on the Discord channel. He found his way into Gamma World through endless quest books, so he gives a great first, last and everything. I'll be back at the end to say very nasally goodbye, but until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. A games master prepares. Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling. I've got Blythe with me over in Little Wigan. Hello there. Hello, Dirk. How are you doing? Now, All right. this is an impromptu meeting, isn't it? This is an impromptu recording because we weren't planning mm. on doing it. Are you saying that because people are prepared for the quality of it? <laughs> yeah, oh, we're never really prepared, to be honest. Never really prepared. <laughs> no, it's not. But <laughs> it won't be any different. We, we struggled this month, haven't we, to put things together. So we, we were given an extra hour by the end of British summertime. So what better time to use to this temporal gift that's been given to us yeah, right. Spending it with yeah. you recording this bobbins. Thank you. Yes. It's good. It's good. It's the good one, this, isn't it? Where the clocks go back. I like this one. But the other one's awful where they go forward. You've like cheated out your Sunday, don't you? I hate that one. But I like this one. Like you're winning, aren't you? I feel like you're winning today. Yeah. Yeah. Extra time. When when it's this time of the year, it, it means that it's a grub meet and we get together. And we've been doing this since 2016, believe it or not. God, it's that long. Yeah, I've got. I sort of think that I get the old t-shirts and the mugs out and think. Well, I don't. I don't get them. I say I make it sound like I get them all out in some kind of strange ritual. I don't. I don't mean I get them out, but I'll, I'll sometimes pluck a t-shirt from the wardrobe and it'll be Grog Meat twenty seventeen on it, and I think, wow, oh yeah, that's like feels like a long time ago. No, yeah. it does. It does. Yeah. And originally the idea was we just did it on Twitter, and there was just a handful of people. I think the first one was about 30 people that we put out, mm. and we hired yeah. a place in the centre of Manchester. And it was one of those things where build it and they will come. So we didn't have any <laughs> really organisation. Not that we have much organisation now, but we didn't have much organisation. Just got <laughs> Even less. 
Um, yeah, it's strange to think back on the first one because it was it was very small scale, wasn't it? It was just yeah, mm, people just turn up and play some games. I know that's what it is now, but there's a little bit more to it now, I suppose. Yeah, it is certainly snowballed, doesn't it, in the mm. <laughs> in the subsequent years. So, your, your, your role in this is for me to come up with over enthusiastic big ideas of how we can make it better and better, and you torpedo yes. them with a bit of yes. common sense and reality. Yes. Yes, I think if there was a if there was a kind of motto, you know, you could write it in Latin. I don't know what it would be, but a motto for Grogme, it should be: Remember, Dirk, you have to actually do it because <laughs> you 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 come up with ideas, and I will say to you, that's that's all right, but you do realize you have to actually do that. It will involve doing things and and getting things organized, and that's the point at which you go. You see, you say torpedo. That's the point the torpedo hits, and you go, "Oh yeah, oh actually no, let's not do that." <laughs> but <laughs> the voice of reason—that's me. <laughs> well, let's take something like uh, "Grog Me Eve." So on the first one, um, some people got there early the night before, so we met up, and we yeah. had a, a game, didn't we? Um, didn't bid uh, Andrew Jones run the very first. The very first game of Fang Shui yeah. in uh, yeah. Fanboy Three, which was a small venue then, wasn't it? Small and uh, fragrant mm. uh, place to uh, play games. Yeah. <laughs> a certain smell, it did, didn't it? Yeah, it's much mm. better now in its highly ventilated yeah. area. But yeah. we met, we met, we met up there, and and it, it felt great, didn't it? It felt. Well, I mean, it, it, when we set up this podcast, our idea was we may get to play with some additional people. And there we were actually playing with some more people. With more people, with quite a lot more people as well. It was very brave of Andrew, actually, wasn't it? Because it was about 10 players. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Something like that. I remember there being, there's about eight or nine or 10 people around that table, wasn't there? Yeah. And he ran a game straight off, you know, and you think, wow, I don't, I don't think I could have done that. <laughs> yeah. So that was Grog Me Eve, and now there's a handful of people went to that first one. This time round, 50 people are coming, and it's a smaller mm. version this year. And uh, normally, you know, in previous years, there's just been a few games being run the night before. But I think because we've all been locked up for um, 20 odd months, I think people have seen this as an opportunity. We want to pack in as much gaming as we, we, we can, so there's a lot coming this time. The idea that Grog Meet and Eve was to do some of the newer games as well, some uh, to give people an opportunity to experiment as well and do, do things that yeah. don't quite fit yeah. into the um, day stuff. Yeah, the idea of, of Grog Meet was, was older games or, or reinvented older games, I suppose. Maybe new editions of older games. But yeah, and then Grog Meet Eve was to, to do things that are new, proper new, these newfangled games from the, the 90s and beyond. Kind of games younger people play. Well, I would encourage anybody if you're thinking of an uh, organising event because it, it has happened by accident. It's a, it's part of the gaming calendar for a lot of people, now, mm. but it was by accident. And you know, I just try and find a, a venue and uh, put it out there, and people will come. If you want to play with people, people will come. Yeah, they will, and it's it's always it's always it's become. A dilemma, but it's tricky, hasn't it, with grog meat? Because people, more people want to come um, than we've probably got tickets for. But 
the bigger you make it there's a i think there's a we've discussed this haven't we i think there's a tipping point isn't the way if it becomes too big it loses some of its character yeah i think that's because we did at one point i think a few years ago looked at the university didn't we um yeah. And that, that was kind of, it seemed quite, despite me saying you do realise you have to do it, it did seem quite doable. But ultimately, it wasn't in the centre of Manchester, which is part of the appeal, because there is a social element to these things as well, isn't there? Yeah. Which you can't you can't kind of discount. That it's not just the gaming, it's also meeting up with people and seeing people that you might game with online and having a chat with them in, in real life in the pub. That's part of it. And the university would have, eroded a bit of that because it's a little bit out of town but also it would have got too big and once it gets too big there's nothing wrong with big conventions you know we've had great fun at expo but when you shift from something small scale and personal to something bigger it, i think we worried it might lose something yeah so it's keeping it it's keeping it big enough to give people access to it and not make it too exclusive but also keeping it small enough to make it feel comfortable and familiar and yeah and it's what it originally like, was i suppose yeah and do you know one of the overriding things and this might sound uh selfish but part of it is it's for our enjoyment isn't it um we, <laughs> the reason why we do it yes, everyone. Is, it's for our enjoyment <laughs> well, well you know you know i, I think 2018 the uh, famous year of the shed where we found uh, a place where it was like a uh, community workshop wasn't it and um, it was like a skilled woodwork room and, and the room i played tunnels and trolls in with griff running it, it was the coldest room i've ever been in ever been it was in. colder than outside ever it was freezing it was like a game in a fridge yeah and people were uh, so complaining cold. of uh, frostbite weren't they and, <laughs> and, and that was a year that it went a bit bigger wasn't it and uh, yeah. we, we put it in there and it just wasn't really a suitable venue for it and I felt the hassle of being the organiser that year. And that's why I encourage people, if you do it, doing it, set it in a game shop, because the game shop will take control of some of the management of the day-to-day stuff, like uh, yeah. making sure that there's toilets available. And, well, uh, the games, well, yeah, that's true. And the game shop as well, and this is kind of quite crucial, will understand what you're actually doing. I think when we set it, when we, we hosted it in, other venues they had no idea what we were doing they just looked at us like we were mad and thought yeah you can use it but we don't know what you're doing so that you know game shops better because they they can facilitate what you're doing because they know what you are actually doing yeah in terms of the games whereas other places might not and that counts for something i think yeah and the the last one that we did um, face-to-face in 2019 was my favourite one. We did it entirely in the new, improved, mm-hmm. bigger Fanboy 3 um, using yeah. both levels. And, and that's where we're going this time. It's a bit smaller than um, uh, previous ones because mm-hmm. of uh, social distancing and uh, just keeping control of all the pandemic stuff. And we've got um, the pub next door as well as an extra room. But, yeah, I, I think... Uh, removing some of the administrative burden on the day allows uh, me and you to enjoy it a bit more, doesn't it? Yeah. One of the things that are talking of administrative burden, one of the thorny questions that we always face at this very point (laughs) is sign up for games. Now, signing up for games causes um, endless debates. I mean, we've, 
we've gone through pints and pints and pints of beer. Well, to, uh, to be this. fair, to, to be fair, you have. <laughs> I, I've you know my view on it. I have a very clear view on it. You you've gone through anguish, but I just well, you know, I have a particular view, and I've never I've never really wavered from it, to be honest. So th- this this is the issue of. But um, carry on. <laughs> This this is the issue of making sure, A, there's enough games available for people uh, to sign up to and they're interesting yes. and appealing yeah. and um, uh, people want to sign up to them. You know, that's, that's fairly straightforward. It's the actual act of people selecting the games and making sure that there's an element of fairness and transparency to, uh, to it. And I have come to the conclusion that there is, no good way of doing it. Yeah. Well, well I, I think... The, uh, do you want me to say... You know what I think. I said you want me to tell you what I think. You know what I think. Uh, I just think release the game slots on a particular day and fastest finger first, sign up to the games you want. If you get lucky, you get lucky. If you don't, you don't. I think you need to make sure there's enough... Obviously, enough games for people. You know, I remember when we went to Dragon Meet, the first time we went to Dragon Meet a few years ago, it was a sign-up sheet system wasn't it and there just there was a queue of people to remember and we were reasonably yeah. at the front um eddie was with us and um, <laughs> we were reasonably at the front and we went in it was just a scrum to sign up to games and if you hadn't got your name on a sheet you'd have not played a game that day which would have been really disappointing i'm not saying dragon meat does it like that now but i don't know whether it does or not but but that that's you've got to have enough games for people who are going if you're going to a big games convention and the assumption is you're going to play some games you can't let people miss out completely yeah. but beyond that i just i just think it's the easiest and fairest way to do it just yeah. sign sign up on the day because it's going live at 10 p.m 9 p.m whatever on a particular day wallop get on your iphone or whatever phone you've got your computer log on sign up done if you miss out you might miss out but there'll be a game for you one way or the other yeah just go with it you see, there's a set of assumptions around that, isn't there? Um, around that, and we'll explain a little bit about Warhorn in a, in a bit because it deserves a bit of a, yeah. a, a discussion mm. on its own. There, there is an issue with that because there's kind of an assumption, and I think an assumption that we have that um, people um, are very happy with whatever you play. Because I, I have that approach. If I go to a convention, yes. I am perfectly yeah. happy to play in anybody's game and any type of game. And, yeah, it's a, uh, that's, that's true. I, I'm, I'm the same. It, I might there might be a list of games, and I might have ones that I think, oh, I, I really want to play that. But if I if I don't sign up to it and I play something else, I'm I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah, I'm easy going enough to, you know. And I also think sometimes that creates a little bit of serendipity. I remember there was a convention. Um, was it a was it Go Play or was it was it Burrito Con? I think it might have been Burrito Con and me and Neil ended up playing Goblin Quest, which isn't a game we would ever... Have, I would never really have signed up to that, but by accident, we ended up playing Goblin Quest and really, really enjoyed it, you know. So there's a bit of that to it. It might not be the game you want, but in the end, it might be a game, you know. Because I've had that experience a few times where games I've really wanted to play might have been a bit disappointing, and then other games that I've thought, well, I, don't, I don't really know what this is, or it's not something I've been my first choice, has been, uh, been really good. It's a lot of administrative overhead to manage people's preferences. And we did that in the initial one when there were uh, fewer people 
turning up. Mm. We allowed people to express yeah. um, a preference. And um, if they didn't get the first preference, then they would um, definitely get the second. And so, it, however, that involved us being in the pub with 50-odd um, pieces of paper moving <laughs> people around, didn't it? Yeah. And yeah. you getting increasingly mad at me for being so um, egalitarian and, um, you know, uh, hippie-ish about making sure that everybody got something that they wanted. Well, it, yeah, it just, it, the more people that came, it, it, the more people who were attending, the more difficult that became, didn't it? It just became sort of slightly nightmarish. And also, also arguably impossible. I think there were points where it just became impossible because you were looking at preferences and second preferences and then there were people you couldn't fit, fit on either a first or second choice and it just became a little bit of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it, it did, it did. And it did become uh, too much. And the other thing that happens is, of course, people, for whatever reason, can't turn up or for whatever reason yeah. that, that game mm. doesn't, doesn't run. So you end up shuffling around anyway on the day, and yeah. all the preferences go out of the uh, out of the water, don't they? they well, that's true, isn't it? With with a preference system, you get people who get their first preference and then can't make it, and then someone who's that was their first preference has been put on another game and misses out. So I think it's quite difficult difficult to do that, and also it puts a bit of onus on the organizer as well that. These are my preferences, and I expect you to uh, to accommodate me. You know, you, you're opening up expectations, aren't you? There for people, I think, which can be difficult to manage. You need to manage their expectations, as they always say. <laughs> can be difficult to do that. The other, the other element, it, it's not just about it's not just about the games, though, is it? It's not just about the games because what I've learned to appreciate over the years is that some people will avoid. Uh, personalities because it's a social game and mm. um, as people start to know each other I've got this assumption you know that everybody gets on with everyone and everybody can uh, cope with everybody <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, you know I've worked years in customer services so I can deal with difficult people I can um, you know I'm, I'm fairly relaxed and can get on but for some people it's difficult um, with some mm. people isn't it so how it can do you, be yeah can be how do you how do you account for that? How can you build? Can you can you or should you build that into your um, into your process of signing up? I don't know. I'm not sure you can. It's very difficult, then, isn't it? To to start. I mean, it's it's, it's easy enough. I mean, to to look at a game or a games master and think I don't want to play that. But it's far more difficult if it if it's other players, isn't it? Because how do you manage the sign up of other players? Not only a pre what, not only preferences on games, but preferences on who I want to play with. Just becomes difficult. Becomes difficult. And also, I would say it runs counter to the idea of a games convention. If, if there's enough people, what I mean, what are we suggesting? If there's enough people there that you don't want to play with, do you know what I would say? I would say don't come. Don't come. Because to some extent, the very nature of a games convention is that you're meeting sometimes strangers. You might be playing with strangers uh, and other people. And if you if that's too much for you, and it is for some people, I, I accept that, then you probably have to question maybe you shouldn't be going, you know. Because, again, when we've been, to, we've been to conventions and played with people that we don't know from Adam, 
you know they don't know us and that for me that's okay i don't have a problem with that and again some of the best games i've had have been with people where i haven't known any of the players and i haven't known the games master and it's been fine and i've never seen those people again ever you know but but it's been fine but if you can't cope with that it's difficult for the organizers to to be responsible for managing that i think because it's another layer of preference it's another layer of not just the game you want to play, but who you want to play it with. I mean, if, if that's the biggest, big enough deal for you, play with friends at home or online. You can manage that yourself, can't you? You know. Yeah. The other um, dimension to this is, of course, you know, if you accept the notion that the games master is a player, how come the games master doesn't have any say on who gets to play? Because 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 it's a games convention. If, if you want that, go, just organise your own groups online. Because we, we do, everyone does that, don't yeah. everyone? We, we've organised groups and we message people and said, hey, do you, do you, you fancy playing this? Because I think you might like it. And they've gone, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Or no, I've no time. I'm sorry, I can't fit in. That's what you do. But it's a games convention. If you're a games master at a games convention, I mean, sorry, but that's the way a cookie crumbles. Yeah. I can remember running a game at Spaghetti Conjunction and a guy sat down and said, I've never played a role-playing game. It's a game of Numenera. So I've never played a role-playing game before. Yeah. I've never played anything. Oh, okay, blimey. So I'm not just going to explain Numenera to you. I've got to explain a role-playing game. And there was another lad there who was about 15. And again, I wouldn't perhaps choose to play with a 15-year-old. But but at the same time, they were great. They were actually really good players when it started. So I, I don't know. What are you going to start saying? Oh, I don't want anyone who's never played a role-playing game before. I don't want anyone who's a certain age. I don't want anyone like, oh, almighty. Well, we'll do it then. So so by its very nature, by its very nature, convention is mm. not precis- precision-engineered fun. It, you have to enter into a co- convention with the idea that Actually, yeah. I'm going to take it as it comes. There's going to be yeah. some serendipity. So. Yeah. 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 As a player and as a games master, that, that is the very nature. I don't think an organiser can can iron out those risks. And if they, if they are too much of a risk, and I know I accept they are for some people. There are people who, 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 are, who don't enjoy that um, kind of thing. Then I suppose you have to ask, is, is that convention? Right for me. And there are different. Uh, there are different types of convention as well, aren't there? So everything from Expo, which is huge, to very small scale things. And I suppose if it's a small scale thing, if it's smaller than if it's smaller than grog meat, then it can be managed perhaps in that way. But but when you get to the bigger ones, certainly things like Expo, you just think you can't you can't manage that. Can you? you just you've got to take it as it comes, or don't do it. You know. Earlier this year, uh, back in February, I did a short poll. It wasn't very scientific. I got criticised for the light, lack of scientific <laughs> rigour really? that was applied, yes. Really? But, however, yeah. Well, you do it on Twitter, you're going to get criticised. It's built that way. It doesn't mean, yeah. it doesn't mean to be yeah. uh, critical Twitter. It's just built that way. That's how the algorithm is built. You know, people have got to yeah. be outraged at what you're doing. Otherwise, you know, yeah. what's, what's the point of Twitter? Yeah. You know, no one says this is great. He was going to be outraged rather than say it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Go in the same weight. There is no room for indifference on social media. So, you know, you've yeah. got, you got, you got to take it, haven't you? So, Hard agree. 
I hard agree with that. <laughs> yeah, hard agree. Hard agree. Hard agree. What? Yeah, don't get... <laughs> <laughs> you get started on that one. Don't get me on hard that agree. one. Hard disagree. Hard disagree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I didn't know there were levels. Anyway. <laughs> no levels, no. So I did this I did this poll and I asked, what do people look for in a short convention game? And um I'll give, I've got the results here. And by far the highest priority, do you know what it was? Go on. Scenario. Great action packed sessions where there's loads of stuff to engage with maximum fun. By some degree, that was the high. So people look for scenarios. Mm. Yeah. Second on the list, 185 and the preference was people, a chance to play with other people. Yeah. And then middling, and then there's massive drop off uh, in terms of priority is system and setting, which is interesting, isn't it? That actually it's more about the scenario and playing with people that people put first. And then um, lower down for a handful of people, Games Master will be a decider, a determinant yeah. that they want to play with a particular Games Master or they've heard yeah. that that Games Master um, runs a good game, so that would influence them. And at the very lowest, in fact, for it, quite like half of um, the scenario is characters. The chance to play interesting characters was uh, one of the questions. Mm. Now, I don't know about you. I'm spending a lot of time creating pre-gens for uh, the games I'm <laughs> <laughs> I am I am spending a lot of time creating pre-gens, but in my defence, I'm not sure they're very interesting. So <laughs> therefore, it'll be okay. <laughs> you want a disappointment. <laughs> very boring, very boring pre-gens. <laughs> don't matter. Don't matter yeah. if they're boring. No one's interested. <laughs> yeah. So putting scenarios out there. That's, I think I know it's unscientific. That is, in, that is an interesting poll, actually. That is interesting, isn't it? You know, the idea that the scenario, ultimately, it's what you do in the game that matters. The system and all the other bits around the edges are relatively immaterial to what you're doing in that scenario. Yes. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, and it's probably accurate as well. Probably, based on experience, it is probably accurate. But we're not well, going to get. I, I think I think it is. Uh, yeah, I think it is accurate because you, you know yourself, don't you? You've you might have played at a convention two games using the same system, different games masters, two different scenarios, different system, and had a very different experience. Come away with a different experience. That's you know. That's true. One of the aspects we've mentioned is Warhorn, isn't it? So people don't know mm. Warhorn is a online uh, sign up um, it manage it manages uh, events it's an event manager specifically for games or games conventions it's free and um it it's free and it's probably the only bespoke application out there that manages mm -hmm. events such as game events because it gives you the ability to um set up the event schedule uh, sessions create scenarios and then put them out there for registration on the face of it is really simple however every year uh, i get feedback because the usability from the point of view of the player because you only come to use it for a few minutes it's not very intuitive and that's part of the reason why people kind of start 
getting quite anxious about signing up because they know they're going yeah. to face Warhorn and the uncertainties <laughs> of that and trying to find the schedule and trying to understand where the games are. And have I registered? I don't know. I, I can't even have I registered. Have I submitted it? Am I on the game? Oh, no. So there, there, there is a bit. Yeah, of there is a bit of that. I know. I know what you mean. It, it's it's great. It's a great. Uh, sort of tool in some respects, but there are a bit a few clunky bits. I've I've been caught out myself by it where you think you're registered and you've not registered, you know, and then you think, hang on, I'm registered for this. Oh no, I'm not because I've not clicked the register button, but it didn't seem to suggest I had to do that. So yeah, you can get caught out. But that but that in itself, that that in itself doesn't even though there's a little bit of trickiness with Warhorn, I still don't think it knocks out the idea that signing up here are the slots we sign, you can start signing up from whatever time on this day just get on with it you know there'll be a game for you but get on with it I've, I've signed up for some things that are really odd where you pick your preferences and then you picked what did you pick you picked um how important the game was to you and i thought oh my god this is really weird and complicated i don't quite understand and also i, I think as well it Signing up, even if you end up signing up to something that you're not, you don't doesn't seem that good, or you're not that keen on, on the face of it, at least you've got time to get your head around the fact that that's what you'll be playing. Yeah, I think some of these preference systems just lead to disappointment because I don't know. At least, at least you know you know where you stand, don't you, with with those kind of signups? I think. And I have to yeah. say that from an organizer's point of view, Warhorn is a godsend because. You know, particularly for virtual events, because we're running virtual events as well, it just handles it all and you can just put it out there. And as far as the organisers point of view, people sign up and you can just hand it over to the games masters then really to communicate yeah. with the uh, players and to really manage their table and the expectations of their table. So yeah. there are benefits to it and just unfortunate that the user experience isn't great. Um, but that could improve, you know. But I, you know, I do think it's a it's a valuable resource for event organisers. Yeah, and, and also it's like you get the system, the, the conventions where you sign up on the day. You know, you get there and sign up on the day. I think didn't Spaghetti Conjunction have one where you roll the yeah. dice? They roll the dice, and then you got a chance to play and that. Well, that's fine because you think, okay, I'm I'm going to get a game. But again, it, one of the difficulties with that is com- coming back to what I was saying earlier about people having a bit of time to get their head around what they're playing. You can, as a games master, if people are signing up on the day and they didn't really want to play your game, they're kind of disappointed there and then, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're disappointed there and then. Yeah. Whereas if it's two weeks or three weeks before, you might be disappointed, but then you might have a chance to read a bit about the game, have a look at the game and go, oh, actually, I quite like the idea of this. Whereas if it's on the day, you've got, you, you, as a games master, you could end up with, couple of players at your table who were in who were actually in throes of disappointment at that, that point in time which isn't helpful for the games master in terms of running the game is it? It, it, it at least at least if you're disappointed you've a bit of time to get over it or maybe look at the game and think oh all right you know this is this is okay maybe it's okay that, that's the way i think about it anyway the way i feel about it if anybody does have any other um, ways of dealing with it or can make some recommendations um, so that Blythe can torpedo it, then please submit them to our <laughs> normal rules. <routes. laughs> 
Hello there. My name is Thomas McCambly, a gamer from the wilds of eastern Ontario in the heart of Canada. I've been asked to share with you my gaming first, last, and everything. So, if you'll let me wind my clock back around 45 years ago, I can show you when and all this started for me. My first is all Sean's fault. Sean being the friend of mine that showed me that weird blue book. You know, the one with the wizard and the fighter and that scary dragon on it. We were both in grade four together, whispering and talking geek nonsense at the back of the class. Uh, mostly Doctor Who on TV Ontario. How we were both going to miss that B. Arthur looking man, but the one with the scarf and the teeth, he looks all right. You know, that sort of thing. Anyway, one day he slipped me a note in class on graph paper that had a maze or something a lot like a maze on it and passed me a 20-sided die. Not really understanding what was up, I looked at him confused. I didn't really get the game at the start, even flipping through the Holmes D&D book. And even though it's fun whispering geeky nonsense at the back of the class, I wasn't getting any deeper into the game. I just didn't understand it. But that's okay. Sean had a backup plan. Over lunch break, he had brought a board game with him. Dungeon. Can you hear the exclamation point on that title? The game is, of course, you choosing an elf, a hero, superhero, or a wizard. Rambling through a dungeon, killing monsters, and bagging loot. This finally brought that whole business of the D20 into focus. And I realized that we were doing exactly the same thing. Only this time, the board is in my head. Whoa. My gaming life expanded with me collecting my own gaming books and dice, moving from Holmes D&D to the Moldvay D&D box set, and AD&D not long after that. D&D has been the baseline of my gaming life, with every new edition teaching me a little bit more and bringing me more fun than any one person should be able to have in one lifetime. My gaming store of choice at the beginning was called Leisure World at Carlingwood Mall, and it was there that I picked up new modules, accessories, and the latest drag magazines, and all the other assorted books, including the Endless Quest series. Have you ever met Lydia the Elven Thief? In the 80s, TSR was cashing in on the choose-your-own-adventure craze with their Endless Quest books. After seeing them advertised in said Dragon magazines, and I thought I'd try one. By chance, I grabbed the third one in the series, The Pillars of Pentagon. And there she was, painted by Larry Elmore on the cover's far right, a beautiful elven red-haired thief, next to Baltek the fighter and Pentagon the wizard. Teenage emotions being what they are. Um, I took to her beauty and take no crap attitude. Both of them hit me very hard. My first fantasy crush. So when the book assigns to her a very dark fate, you can imagine the loss I felt. With one choice, Lydia climbs a pillar and discovers a pile of loot just sitting there unguarded. You shout a warning to the rambunctious thief, but she doesn't listen. Instead, there's a flash of light. When next you see her, and the book rubs it in with a really gorgeous illustration of this fate, she has become a skeleton, and she quickly closes in to seal your fate as well.
When people speak of the tragedy that befell Alina at the hands of Bargle in the Redbox D&D set, I tend to mutter through clenched teeth, What about Lydia and Pillars, you bastards? The book's adventure was a straightforward one of reclaiming a dungeon from its hideous master, facing down an undead dragon at first level, and returning the dungeon to your wizard chum. It's a short, fun adventure to read, if only to see the cruel fate Lydia meets. But I'll return to the subject of Endless Quest books a little bit later, as it's a gateway to my everything. But for now, let me tell you about my last. The Storm Has a Name That was the tagline for West End Games' Torg, role-playing the Possibility Wars, of which back in the 90s I was a huge fan of. Recently, Ulysses Spiel has adapted and updated the game, now calling it Torg Eternity. And I've been running a Torg Eternity game now since January of this year, and it is one of the most enjoyable campaigns I've ever run. My players and I have been learning the rules as we go, and it's proving to be quite the cinematic adventure for my six Storm Knights. If you're not familiar with the game, let me lay out the premise. The Earth of Torg is a world where Die Hard, or the last action hero, might be considered a documentary. And it's been invaded by seven other strange realities. These invading realities plant artifacts called stele that push back Earth's reality and replaces it with their own. They steal possibility energy, which the Earth is rich in, and is stolen from the people who are trapped inside the stele boundaries. And these poor souls eventually are transformed into the invading reality. You play a Storm Knight, someone who can resist that transformation and have the ability to warp reality and bring the fight back to the invaders and to rescue the people who are trapped inside these realities. The seven invading realities consist of the following. The savage living lands, populated by primitive lizard folk and the dinosaurs that stalk their misty jungles. Lost empires and strange forgotten ruins abound. Isle, a fantasy realm split between the forces of light and darkness, and is ruled over by invading Vikings, wizards, undead, dragons, and the strange soul-leaping wizard who rules over them. Tharkold, a nearly spent world of cybernetic demons and brutal radioactive lands. It is a realm of techno-horror, a place littered with David Cronenberg-style nightmares. The Cyber Papacy, a cyberpunk world where the cyber-priests of the Antipope, Jean Malraux I, pursues a crusade against demons, witches, and storm knights, all those who would not find salvation within the cyber church. The Nile Empire, led by a mad criminal genius who rules a 1940s-style empire and is only resisted by those strange mystery men and women who thwart his plans on a regular basis. Pan Pacifica, a realm of vengeance and late-stage capitalism running amok, a place where the Umbrella Corporation would just be another subdivision of the mysterious and evil Kanawa Corporation. Finally, there is Arorsh, a realm of fear and horror, one where nightmares lurk in the shadows, and it has a reputation of being where storm nights die. Torg uses a d20 rule system that generates a modifying number. 
This number is then added to a skill or an ability, and then that total is compared against a difficulty number, and the DM is able to say if it is or isn't a success. Players also have a pool of points called possibilities, the thing the invaders are stealing, that allow them to perform actions like changing a die roll after the fact, or shrugging off damage sustained in combat. It leads to interesting results as the players can momentarily produce glitches in the matrix and rewrite reality. But don't worry, GMs. Some of their foes can do the exact same thing, too. The thing I like about the system, though, is that characters have sole access to a deck of cards called the Destiny Deck that can produce other in-game effects, such as additional possibilities, modifying die rolls further, and producing in-game scene editing that can lead to interesting and dramatic turns in the game. There is even a martyr card if they feel very strongly about a game outcome they'd like to achieve. The Game Master also has a set of cards, the drama cards, that control initiative for the, com for the combats and add small events into the narrative, and in some occasions produce a timed skill use minigame that can be stress-inducing in the best possible way. Into this world my players have ventured, fighting the good fight against the invaders, and in the latest session, entered the besieged city of Paris, surrounded on all sides by the forces of the cyber papacy. The Eiffel Tower has held back these invaders from a final victory by retaining a strong connection to Core Earth. For as long as the tower stood, Core Earth would remain a kilometer-wide bubble of defiance against the cyber papacy. The Resistance reported that one of the enemy's mobile AI angels, called a host, had, in defiance of cyberpapal allies' wishes, crossed into Core Earth and hovered near the top of the Eiffel Tower. The Storm Knights thus summoned arrived and parlayed with it, finding out it was there waiting on the sign of a demon summoning that was supposed to be at the behest of the cyberpapacy themselves. The host was having a crisis of faith. The players talked it over with the Parisian resistance forces, and both agreed that a potential civil war between the cyber-papal forces and their AIs was worth the loss of Paris. The players rooted out the network of spies that had set up the demon-summoning ritual, but allowed the ritual to proceed, turning the Eiffel Tower into a giant demonic kaiju. The host and it fought while the players distracted the demon kaiju to get it to a point where the players managed to trip the beast and dispatch it in very short order. I've never been more proud of my players after that game. I don't know why my everything is Gamma World, but it most undoubtedly is. From the first mentions of it in the Dungeon Master's Guide, to the articles in Dragon Magazine describing fearsome monsters with terribly punny names, everything hinted at something amazing. I was a sci-fi kid growing up, and the words radiation or mutation hinted at a world gone mad, and it all just sort of sat there at the edges of my interest. And it pretty much stayed there until I discovered that other Endless Quest book I was talking about, Light on Quest's Mountain. I found the book about the same time I found Pillars, 
And my first thought was that it was a very strange-looking one compared to the other D&D books I had seen. The book is red, with Keith Parkinson art framed in a metallic outline. The art is of a lizard man with a metal spear, blocking the strike of a blue-skinned humanoid woman with two heads and four arms, wielding a great sword. Two other figures in green robes and similar spears stand in the back of a cave the fight is occurring in, and all of this is illuminated by a strange glowing cube at the feet of the two combatants. I puzzled over this fight scene until I finally glanced below the art and seeing the magical white words beneath it saying, A Gamma World Adventure Book. Finally, I found my way into that strange world, and I'll admit I've never really come home from it. The book follows the adventures of the unmutated human Wren and his two friends, the lizard humanoid Sars and the monkey humanoid Chark. Every year, those, kid, those kids of age are sent to Quest Mountain as a mean to prove their adulthood to the village. This year, there is an additional mystery to be solved, as the elders have seen a strange light atop the mountain, and it is your job to find the source. I was enraptured by this story, even though I died the first time through. Let me warn you, obs are very nasty creatures in Gamma World. It was very much a world I wanted to keep visiting. I stayed up at night, reading by flashlight under my sheets, going through all the endings and ending up on the ad for the game on the very last page. My path was then set, and the book had done its job. Two weeks later, I owned the box set for the second edition. If you've never played second edition Gamma World, you can play one of three different player characters. You can play an unmutated human, but it's a human that has, let's say, Captain America's physique. A human plus, as it were. You can also play a humanoid. A mutated human gifted with strange powers, but lacking the ability to interact well with the strange tech of the ancients. Or you can play a mutated animal. Something like a humanoid, but you started off as a non-human. Your characters wander the land, finding danger, artifacts of ancient human design, ruins of terrible purpose, and other people who hope to tame this strange new land, or, more likely, try to stop you from succeeding. After the second edition box set, I very quickly devoured the entire line, bought up the first edition, every module I could lay my hands on, and all the subsequent editions up until the 7th. I think I had a nearly complete run of the RPG. I no longer had the 6th edition, folks. I sold that before I, my last move, but between you and me, listener, I was never a big fan of the 6th edition. It took it way too seriously. Anyway, all of this has been thrown into my mental stew pot for me to consider. And a lot of this is where I draw my inspiration for my own games. Now, I've heard a lot of OSR gamers out there throw shade over the 7th edition of Gamma World, the collectible card version of Gamma World. But I keep telling them they're missing out on tons of goofy fun with it. 
It's a perfect addition of Gamma World for one-and-done games. I also find it's got the second best... Hmm, how do I put this? Realization for why the world went mad? Of course, that one is mostly played up for laughs, but I find it works. And I also find it's a way of being able to bring in other settings into your Gamma World game. For example, you could have, you know, oh, hey, this area, this is kind of inspired by Battlestar Galactica. And that area over there, eh, maybe I want to play around with Appleseed. It allows you to change up the campaign world so that it never gets stale. And that's something all game masters should have fun with. Honestly, though, if I had to pick one edition that got it right for the inspiration for Gamma World, first edition. I can't go into it now because it would take up way too much time. But if you get a copy of first edition, read the preface. It is some of the most evocative writing for a game world I have ever read. I think in some cases it still haunts me. Because I keep seeing echoes of it in the world we're living in right now. The strength of the setting to me is the ability to take what you know and to translate it into the unknown for the enjoyment of other people. The joy of making the familiar unfamiliar is one of the greatest joys a Gamma World GM can have. Especially when the players figure out that the strange rocket device that they thought they had found turned out only to be an old rusty stove. I don't think my players have ever forgiven me for that one. Anyway, Gamma World is not a realistic game. Not by any means. But being an unrealistic game, it is a game that can, I think, inspire hope. That a world that makes no sense can be made to make some sense, even if nothing will ever always make sense. My campaign world is the Ottawa Valley. It's a place that sprang forth from the second edition's map of ruined North America. It's a strange future version of the place I'm from, and it's a place I dabble with from time to time. I like sketching out the world on hex maps and thinking about the people who once lived there and who live there now. I often think of like the threats and the wonders waiting to be discovered by player characters, of the brackish inland sea that sits in the center of my campaign world, and I also like to think about the wild mutants who live in the ruins of the ancient buildings that sit in that strange sea, jutting out of it like broken teeth. This strong image just sits mostly in my head, and I have a very hard time getting things down on paper, as Dirk may indeed know by now. Sorry, Dirk. I've managed to run a successful game or 20 of it in the almost 40 years that I've had the game, but I have been almost completely unable to run a campaign. Sadly, I appear to be the only Big Gamma World fan hereabouts, but really that's okay. Every now and then I get to live amongst the ruins and see it through the fresh eyes of other gamers. I hope to one day open another portal to this strange world so that 
some other gamer will get sucked into it, just the way I did. Anyway, thank you for this opportunity, Dirk. I'm at OttawaTom on Twitter and would love to chat with other gamers. And as always, please examine your artifacts with the care and attention they deserve. Black ray guns kill. Let's have a quick run through the itinerary. So what we've got, and um, so I'd be interested to see how your preparations are going on for each of uh, mm-hmm. each of these. Okay. So um, first up, we and we introduced this last year when we had uh, Grog Me Ish for the first time. So we were able to meet up in Manchester. We did an online experience at the same time to keep um, a placeholder in the year to make sure that uh, people knew that it was still going on. And we introduced the uh, pub quiz on the Thursday night. So extending the weekend into Thursday night, an online pub quiz. And uh, this, using Warhorn, set up uh, some tables in the Mitchester Arms, uh, people to have a pint and to have some questions thrown at them. Have, have you been? Have you? You've actually played and been a, a, a quiz master in this. I've been a quiz master, and and I've also played last year. I, I was a contestant. I was on a team last time, wasn't I? Yeah. It always surprised me the wisdom of crowds because when I look at these questions, I just think I have no idea what it is. And we've got no. Pookie. <laughs> We've got Pookie from uh, reviews from Relier and um, actually setting the quiz, and he's done that since virtual grog meet, and he's doing it again this year. And I, I, they, they completely throw me. I mean, when I set the quiz last year, I knew the answers because I was setting the quiz, and uh, you, you helped me with that. That, that was easy. Yeah, the first we, one. Yeah, yeah. When yeah. we were setting the well, questions, the second, it was a lot the, easier. They were a lot easier. The second one as well. The one Pookie did that made me think I, I don't know much about role playing games at all, really. Yeah, you know. <laughs> let's, let's see. Let's see if we can remember some of the um, some of, some of the answers to these questions. So this is from a virtual grog meet last time, and uh, people at home can have a go and see if they can get it. Okay, let's. Uh, okay, many role playing games would be adapted to use D twenty system. In two thousand and one, Chaosium Inc. adapted Stormbringer. What was it called? Um, I think, was it called Elric? Elric? Uh, no, Elric was the, um, I suppose, the fifth edition, was it? Fifth, fourth oh, edition right. of uh, oh, Stormbringer. This, this was Elric of Melnibone. Um, not quite that. The Dragon Lords, uh, Dragon Lords of Melnibone. Oh, right. Melnibone. Is that yeah. how you say it? That's how you say it now, yeah, apparently. I've, that's something I've learned yeah. over the past five years that we've been we were Yeah, Melnibone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, let me ask you another one. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay. Okay, what does Osric, the name for the first retroclone, stand for? Osric, what does it stand for? It's Osric. Is it, is it, is it, it's an S, not, is it an S, not a Z? It's an S, yeah. It's an S, Osric, Osric yeah, right. So, old Old school renaissance. Or is it revival? Nobody knows. No one's decided. Oh, hang on. Let me write it down. Hang on. Osric. You're not Googling, oh, are you? You're not Googling. No, I'm not. I'm not Googling it. I'm just writing the word. Osric. Old school renaissance. Oh, I don't know. 
old I school. Know. I, I, I know I do know because I was told the answer when the quiz was for, immediately forgotten. It's old school reference and index compilation. There you go. That sounds exciting. They made it sound exciting, there, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and a game about slaying monsters and magic into a, some kind of firing system. And the best thing about Pookie's answers, he also gives some additional information because it, it, mm. it's a learning experience as well as uh, participating. Yeah. It's first published in 2006. It's a recreation of the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition. Osric, there you go. So the, there's still places available uh, at the time of recording for uh, Pookie's Pub Quiz on the 11th of November. So come along to that. On the Friday, we have, um, it was introduced in uh, 2018, the year of the shed, this, wasn't it? It was a multi-table extravaganza yeah. across five tables. And this is uh, hosted by Old Scouts role player Neil Benson himself. And uh, the idea of this is to get everybody playing the same game so that it's a bit of an icebreaker and people can share the experiences in the pub afterwards. I think the first one we did was a, a pub fight, wasn't it? A barroom brawl. The barroom brawl, wasn't it? Yeah, the barroom brawl. Um, yeah, did, you good. played in that, didn't you? I did. I played Advanced Fighting Fantasy with Neil for a bit. And people moved around, didn't they? Wasn't there some yeah. kind of teleportation thing where... You could be teleported to another bar, to another barroom brawl in another universe. <laughs> so I got teleported from the advanced fighting fantasy one to uh, Mithras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that first one, we were all doing uh, different systems, and we learned from that experience because obviously, as people joined your table, they may not be all fair with the rules. So there was like a, a slowing down as people joined. That's the right. Table. Yeah. I think that was the thing that made people think, well, next time we'll just do one one system, agree yeah. on one system so yeah, that system. people move around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was doing Fantasy Trip and um, it was uh, an ill-judged um, scenario that I did. I did it in the Lamia's Lips uh, brothel. Um, and <laughs> I think my uh, phallic-shaped um, tower and the two chambers underneath um, the joke wore off quite quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was unable to sustain The initial it. joke wears off and then it, it becomes like a, a regular role-playing adventure. But there's a phallic tower in it, which the joke, but the joke's worn off, so it stops being, you know, all, all, I, can being say, all I can say, I couldn't pick it up for three hours. That's a, that's a, <laughs> <laughs> like, a weird, like a weird combination, role-playing game and a Hindu. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, uh, I underestimated a fantasy trip because fantasy trip is on the face of it quite a mm. simple system. And I kind of played it simply. However, for proponents of the game, it is actually quite complicated because it requires uh, tactical flanking rules and um, you mm, can actually, yeah. the length of the weapon comes into effect. So you can have a, a standoff with, um, you know, people with, people with pikes. Um, and I just wanted a fast moving. Uh, fight and um, didn't apply those rules, much to the uh, annoyance of some of the people who are participating, <laughs> who are fancy <laughs> fans. So they wanted, mm. you know, uh, rules as written. Uh, but yeah, 
So that was the first one. And then the year after, we did Mothership, which was far more successful, I'd say, because um, everybody yeah. was moving towards a common goal. There were different parts of the spaceship and uh, yeah. uh, with a timer, and uh, people had to have their individual missions on each table. So that, that was good. Yeah. And you played that as well. well I, 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 was, I, I played was, that. I played in that one. I, I've ended up playing, I think I played the Android in, in Mothership, which was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. Because the, the Android doesn't go mad. The Android just wants to drive, didn't have any stress, wanders around being cool and just do it, doing whatever it wants. Yeah, it was funny. I remember one of the players ended up being killed and then he got a new character who was a, was a, was a bureaucrat or administrator and his weapon was described as a lanyard, an ID card. That's all he had as a weapon. It was quite funny. Yeah, but it was good. It was enjoyable mothership, yeah. And like you say, it's the same system, so... It it worked better because I think all the games masters had become familiar and probably discussed the system between themselves and how it works before we played. Yeah, that was that was great fun. It hit the ground running that one, didn't it? And then mm. uh, last year, because it was uh, online, we did Moose Ritter and do you DM Moose for Ritter, that? Yeah, one? yeah. I, I games mastered for that. Yeah, like, I enjoyed that. I like. I mean, it's based on Into the Odd, isn't it? And I like Into the Odd. Into the Odd's a really neat little system for a convention because it's so simple and such a lot. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 it was good, that. wasn't it? It was good because each of the games master came up with their own um, unlikely scenes of uh, yeah. peril for the uh, little mice to encounter. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> the, the the really good one was uh, the uh, one that uh, Neil did, uh, which was uh, the Temple of Doom, wasn't it? Um, recreating the Temple of Doom, the yeah. final the, uh, based on the Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think um one of the heart one of the mice had the heart ripped out by the sorcerer as part of mine that was really really cool they should wish been a cat idol or something yeah, yeah that's it and then this year it is barbarians of lemuria and yes. um each table will be defending a tower in uh in that setting against uh hordes of uh demons now uh, we've come off the subs bench, haven't we? And, and we'll be running the game because a couple of people can't uh, come. Yeah. And uh, I must admit, I've never played um, Barbarians of Lemuria. I've never run Barbarians of Lemuria. Mm. So help me out here, Blythe. Where do I need to start? Um, well, it's a really nice game, actually. I mean, that Mythic Edition is what you need. And it's got the rules for battles in. And it's got all the monsters and the setting and everything, really, that you need. It's, it's very kind of Conan-esque. Um, in the way it's done. Um, but it's a dead simple system. It's just basically 2d6, roll nine or more, modified by certain skills. So stats and skills are like one or two or three, plus just a plus one, plus two, plus three. And you just you're just trying to roll a nine or more. So even even in combat, it's you know, add your agility and your melee skill minus their defense and try and roll nine or more. Simple as simple as that, really. The only, I suppose, the only complicated—not complicated, but slightly complicated bit—is you've got hero points. So you get these hero points. I think players get five each. Although I think we're thinking of pooling them, aren't we? Um, and it allows you to do things like do extra damage or take down more than one foe in a in a combat round. And there's a thing called shield splinter, where if you get hit by tons of damage. You can use your shield and soak all the damage, but your shield gets destroyed and that kind of thing. 
you know, or re-rolls. You've got these hero points that, that kind of allow you to do spectacular things when the time's right. I suppose that's the idea with them. A bit like, bit like Benny's, but but there's a bit more to them in as much as they yeah, allow you to do different different manoeuvres and different things. Ah, right. So it's, it, rather than Benny's, it, it, it's it's a specified type of action that you can do. Well, it's a set of it's a set of actions. So you can you can do you can spend a hero point to have a reroll. You can do spend a hero point to to defy a death. You can do extra damage. You can bump a critical up to a sort of legendary attack and things like that. So it's a pool of there's a pool of things you can do with a hero point rather than just reroll. And do you distribute them with cards, or do you have them on cards to give to? Um, I don't know. Just, just just use. No, you just just use counters. It's up to the player what they spend it on. Right. So if you if you've got five hero points, you could spend one and say, right, with this hero point, I want to do that from the list. That's how it works. You right. just pick what you want from the list of things that a hero point can can do. This is the addition I've got. Is this the right one? That's the right one. Oh, yeah. brilliant! Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm one step yeah. towards it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a great game. It's not. It's not. It's not difficult at all to to run. It's um, just d6s. Dead dead easy, really to run and, and and i suppose as well it's in the spirit of action adventure role playing it's not it's not a complicated game it's not a complicated game from in terms of the system but it's not a complicated game in terms of what you would expect the players to do you know it will be it's fight big monsters and rescue people and do all that kind of heroic stuff that's what the game's built around really the, the setup and the situation is quite appealing, isn't it? And um, there's an opportunity mm. at the end for everybody to use their uh, combined victories to try and determine what the overall result is across the table. So that'll be quite fun. Yeah. It's going to be hinging on a on yeah. one dice yeah, roll. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good. It's a really good game, actually. It's a bit. It's probably a bit underrated. Um, I've had it for a while and I've played it. And Neil ran uh, Expo played it with Neil. He ran it, um, and I've been I've been meaning to run it for a bit. So it's quite I'm quite pleased because it's a good opportunity to to have a go at running it. Yeah, you know, I yeah uh, I good, I, good I got it last year when I was doing the all the post apocalypse stuff because there is actually um, a post apocalyptic variant. So I got the mm. game and I got the uh, PDF of the post apocalyptic variant, and I, it was it's on my list on my pile that i'm gonna play uh, yeah it's one of those games i bought a few years ago and got very excited about it and then did that thing with i didn't i didn't run it and the opportunity to run it didn't come along and then it went on the shelf and i thought i keep it's one of those games i look at i think i must run some barbarians lemuria at some point but but never quite got around to it so we'll give it a go i might I might run some more in next year i might put it on my list for next year's games because it is it is a lot of fun uh, that's um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's it's always good, and as I said, the the real appeal of it is that people can share their experiences and what went well for them, what went yeah um, terrible, yeah. and it's just a good icebreaker, isn't it? it? Gives a bit of common ground for everybody who's there um, to yeah. share their experiences at the table. And then after that, it's um, Grog Me Eve. And uh, what have you got planned for that? Have you you not signed up for a game yet? Have you? You not? Not yet. No. No. Are they available? See, there not you yet. go. No, oh, there you go. That's why I'm not saying you've up. missed out. You've missed out. That's the thing you see. But it wouldn't you bother don't... me. It wouldn't bother me. I will embrace the same deputy. <laughs> I don't care. You can't get me. You can't trick me like that. 
you were trying to do that, weren't you? You were trying to trick me into feeling annoyed because I'd missed the sign up, undermining my argument earlier on. I'd see what you did there, but yeah. I'm not bothered. No, you can I'll see the other traps. I'll go see. with the floor. Yeah. You know. I'm running, um, <laughs> this is a late entry, this one. I'm going to run Leoness, and it's a game that I run last year at uh, Grogny-ish and at Albert, I think, online. Mm. And it's the um, Harbinger of the Phase Colonel, and it's a, an adventure. Uh, I think you played in it, haven't you? You played. I did play in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I won't tell you what. I, I have fond memories of, it, but I won't discuss those because it give it will give the game away slightly. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It is follow the uh, Jack Vance spirit of twisty and turny, and <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, there's yeah. a few spoilers in there, isn't there? And the the reason why I'm running it is, um, you know, I have got the intention of writing it up and um, you know uh, having it as like a, a written scenario so other people can play it, but. Oh, yeah. no. Ooh, you're going to become an industry person. Will you still oh, no. speak to me? Will you, will you still do this podcast with me if you become an industry insider? I, yeah. And to become an sure. industry uh, insider, you have to apply the seat of your pants to the seat and actually write, don't you? And that's, as you know, that is a difficulty for me. It's almost like, hey, Dirk, you do realise you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> It seemed like a really good idea. But... Yeah, but it is a good idea. But you have to do it. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to put publish a proper scenario in my name. But I do have to sit down and do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm running it again because I've never I've never run it face to face in the hope mm. that the actual act of running it will make <laughs> me actually concentrate and sit down and uh, yeah. and, and write something. We'll wait and see what happens with that. Mm. So, Grug Meat Day, what have you got lined up uh, for running? I'm, I'm, Grug Meat I'm running some Traveller. I'm running a bit of Traveller. This is great. This is, this is great, this, isn't it? You know, 35 years ago, you <laughs> turned your back on Traveller. Never to return. Yeah. Never darken my door yeah. again. My Iris valve is shut forever. My Iris valve is shut forever to you, Traveller. <laughs> look at me back. now. It's back, back, back. Fickle, yeah. fickle. I feel like I feel like I'm Richard, Rich, you know, like Richard Burton. Yeah, you know, married Elizabeth Taylor twice. I feel yeah. like that. You know, I've come back. I'm invited to travel. I'm sure all these years. It's a Richard Burton moment. So what what stage is your preparation on that? Is it done? Is it ready? It's pretty much done. That I'm doing um, research station Gamma, which is I guess adventure number two. Of the of the old 1980s adventures but I've, I've revamped it i've kind of looked at it and thought it's like it's like a lot of those traveler adventures and it's this odd thing about it when we were younger and i think i said lot two things with traveler i think the mongoose edition is very very good because it adds a lot more whilst the, the system remains relatively simple and that's nice not really changed the mechanics much there's a little tweak here and there but there's a lot more not so much background that's the wrong word but there's there's lots of extra bits so you know like there's some examples of alien races that are not Varga and Aslan like other minor ra- alien races and there's there's things about bit, bit about robots and a bit about you know some of the weapons and some illustrations and stuff that gives it a bit more life than I think Traveller had yeah. back in the day 
Um, yeah, because you run a one-shot for us, didn't you, in the one-shot club, and um, yeah. you said that that was just purely generated from reading the setting material, and that was in yeah. there, and it, 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 you found it inspiring. Yeah, yeah there's lots more, a lot more setting and example planet, and, you know, if you get one of the Spinwood Marches or the Deneb sector things, that there's examples of planets, so it's not just, it, there is strings, there's string and numbers thing. But it also talks about some of the systems and planets in a bit more detail. And you think, ah, oh, right, yeah, okay, I could set a scenario there, that kind of thing. So I think back in the day, it didn't really have. And that's true of this research station in Gamma. You read it, the original adventure, and think there's a lot of potential here to just manipulate this and do something more interesting with it, which hopefully yeah. is what I've, I say. Ho hopefully that's what I've done. Hopefully it's more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> remains to be seen, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But it's ba it's based on Research Station Gamma, but it but it's not Research Station. If if you'd played Research Station Gamma, you could play it, and you wouldn't quite know some of the things that are within the Research Station. So, but I am I am looking forward to it. Uh, I've kind of fallen in love a little bit with Traveller again because I do think it's a, a reinvigorated way that they've packaged it and. It's come alive a little bit. I think also the realisation, which I don't think I realised when I was a kid, that it is like a bit of a toolbox game as well. It gives you tools to do different types of science fiction if you want, you know, and you can ignore some of those tools if you want as well. But back in the day, I don't, I don't think I quite realised that. No. I'm, I'm on the day I'm running um, Gangbusters and I'm quite looking forward to it because... The pub that we're doing next door, I'm going to do it in there because it's a 1920s theme bar. It's got bentwood chairs. <laughs> it's a, a speakeasy setup, so I thought it'd be perfect to run uh, Gangbusters, which I've not played. I, I had um, a, a game set up a couple of years ago, but believe it or not, because of Little Mix, I had to cancel it. It's a long story. I won't go into right now, but I was going to run a game <laughs> of Gangbusters completely, but Little Mix got in the way. A little mix got in the way, yeah. Mm. As, but, as they so often do. <laughs> and um, so I've, I've not run it, and returning to it, I'm going to do Death on the Docks, which is one of the TSR modules, and um, it's really a mini campaign. So I'm going mm. to try and do my usual trick of trying to condense a campaign into uh, three <laughs> into hours. Three hours. Yeah. What a good luck. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, it reminded me, and we're going to talk about uh, gangbusters in a bit more detail in a future pod, but it reminded me how complex and involved and detailed those modules were for gangbusters. Mm. They were quite intricate, and we were players back, uh, back in the day, um, and we probably didn't give it the full attention that it deserved, really, for the actual quality mm. of the plotting and the uh, characters that it created. So I'm looking forward to uh, going back to that because uh, I think it'll be real fun. And, uh, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of the gangsters as a genre of films, yeah. and I've never really found a satisfying game to emulate uh, the gangster movie. So I'm going to put in a few more elements, I think, just to, um, to spice it up a little. It's interesting you say that, though, because I... I think that's the my experience with the traveller thing. When you go back to these things now as an adult, you see different things in it that as a kid, you know, you forget we were 12, 13, 14 years old when we were playing these things. And some of it was lost on us a bit. 
you know we were maybe looking for something that wasn't there and perhaps blind to the things that were there yeah. and if you go back to it as an adult you actually think oh i mean actually this is really good this is this is different than i remember because you were 13 you know you wanted something different or you were or i say you were a bit a bit blind to some of the subtleties of it that kind of thing like, like that with travel i was completely blind to the fact that to some extent although traveler gives you a setting it also gives you a toolbox to do whatever kind of science fiction you want it gives you both things at the same time and that in itself is something i would i just did not see when i was younger whereas now i see it and think oh i see all right okay i get why it's not just like star wars or star trek it's giving you the whole breadth of science fiction in one game for you yeah. to do what you want with it i think what uh, gangbusters does is in its setting of lakefront city which is essentially a it's Chicago with the numbers uh, filed off. It really delves into the politics of it and the politics of the 1920s in America and really surfaces some really interesting ideas for mm. players to interact with in that environment. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, running that. On the uh, Sunday, we introduced a live recording and people will have heard that. Maybe it was Ian Cooper and... Um, was a guest and Paul Fricker uh, in 2019. This time we're going to do a live recording of the Frankenstein's RPG, which will also feature Paul Fricker and Ian Cooper. It's like a reunited, reunited. It's and it luminaries. It's it's gaming luminaries, and me. Yeah, and me as well. <laughs> well, you you are luminary. A dim Ian Cooper, dim Ian Cooper, Paul Fricker. Dirt the dice and me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Dave Patterson will be overseeing uh, the event. And at the actual at Grogme Eve, you've got an opportunity to play Frankenstein's RPG. And if you haven't been following this, this is a podcast that pulls together a panel of people who mm. make a pitch for different elements of uh, game the to bring them all together to create the perfect game or a great big shambling lumbering monster that Dave is actually going to pull together with character creation from Call of Cthulhu, the initiative system from uh, Conan and all these different other elements are setting from beyond the wall and bring it all together somehow uh, into sort of a playable mm. experience on Grugme Eve. And he's going to talk about that experience and, um, we as a panel will also be selecting an additional feature for the game as part of that. We'll put that out as a podcast. So if you can't attend, you'll be able to hear it. Are you ready to fight your corner? Because I think um, I've been on it uh, twice and won uh, twice. I know it's not a competition, but I, I did win uh, twice. What, what I've, been, I've been on it once and both my ideas did not get selected. Um, so. Yeah, and and I know there's been a bit, there's been a bit of off off stage discussion of this, and I think you three have grabbed all the best things. <laughs> I don't know what I'm left with. You know, that's where fastest finger first doesn't work, in my opinion, <laughs> when it comes to Frankenstein's podcast. You've nabbed all the good stuff to as your ideas. What am I scrabbling around? So we'll see. I'll have to pull something out of the bag, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. We'll be able to see the results of that, or at least hear it. Um, in podcast form and then last but not least 
it is on the Sunday afternoon, it is goal play in Manchester, which is New- Newport's uh, organised play. And that has been set up in from Boy 3 um, pre-pandemic, was operating every month. And it's coming back uh, to Fanboy 3 uh, on the Sunday afternoon. And we're running a couple of games there, aren't we? What are you running for that one? I'm running some Cthulhu Dark Ages. Um, the Siege of Ely, which is based just after the Battle of Hastings. Technically, as people have pointed out, not the Dark Ages, but I'm, I'm don't think it really matters. Doesn't matter, does it? We don't Creative care. license. Creative I've, license. I've, yeah. I've been in that one. We did it in the one shot. You did. You played that as a one shot. Yeah, yeah. It went all right. So I thought, oh, go on, I'll, I'll do that. It's already prepared, isn't it? I mean, let's yeah. face it, running three games over the weekend, I get at least get one that's actually pre-done and pre-prepared. So, But I like Cthulhu Dark Ages. It's good. It's nice. It's a good, it's a good, good version of Cthulhu, I think. I like it. So I'm running that. Well, I'm going to be running my uh, Savage Worlds game of Planet of the Apes, uh, uh, King mm. Kong on Planet of the Apes. Which I've played, or part, part of it, haven't I? Yeah, the first half. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be a, a, a scenario in three acts, and uh, you played one of the acts, and uh, yeah, yeah. That that was quite. I enjoyed doing that because the good thing about playing planet characters for Planet of the Apes is everybody knows who they are, and can slip. Yeah, into that, that's the thing, isn't it? When you do a game based on, yeah, based on um, on a TV show, people know who the characters are. Although characters, as your very very scientific survey proved. It, no one's really bothered about that. No one's really bothered about characters. They just want exciting things to do. So yeah. don't need to worry. And let's face it, you don't really do, need to do much else than say King Kong on Planet of the Apes. And <laughs> yeah, just King Kong on Planet. King Kong. There you go. <laughs> what else do you need to do? <laughs> I don't think I'll even turn up for that one. I think I'll just let it run itself. Just, just, just let him, <laughs> just let him get on with it. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know what to do. <laughs> So there we go. And, and Savage Worlds is a great fit for uh, that because, you know, we've been playing a lot yeah. of uh, Savage Worlds and we really must do a podcast about it, mustn't we? Because we're becoming a bit savage fans, aren't we, on the quiet? We, really, we play it all the time. Our Wednesday group has really become a Savage Worlds group, hasn't it? And, yeah. and yeah, we, yeah, we've not done a podcast on it. We need, we need to do one. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Blythe, for spending Sunday morning with me and giving me your extra hour. Uh, yes, that's all right. It's a pleasure. Dedicating it to the podcast. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker, and Matthew Sanderson. And together, they talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and weird fiction, as well as other horror role playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to blasphemoustomes.com. Well, I'm recording this on a blustery Halloween evening, determined to get the grog pod out before the end of the month. Thanks to Tom for his great first, last and everything. The promised episode 50, part 3, will be with you shortly and listen out for the live recording of Frankenstein's RPG from Grogmeat in the next few weeks. Thank you all for your support and your patience 
please pass it on. Stick a link in an email and blast it out to someone you know. We're really grateful for you listening and taking part. Thanks to our patrons who keep this going and fund our activities. We have some new ones to thank. At the Fantasy Poof level, Hannah Smith, Jack Scott, Seb Wakeley. Thank you. At the Sofa So Good level, I like to give them a virtual gift that I'm going to roll on a table, apparently at random, from Fighting Fantasy. So, first up is Brent Caldwell. He gets a Ring of Confusion. Paul Snow, he gets Slumberberries. Adam Buxton, not that one, he gets a blue candle. It repels spirits, apparently. Kay Elling, get some Pegasus wings. Costas, perhaps, get the Crown of Atlantis. Thank you. Panicked Sheep gets some Belladonna ointment. Chris Lawson gets a pot of green gas. Andrew Graham gets a doppelganger potion. Simon Tonkis gets a potion of rage. Bennett Cobra gets a love potion. At the next level, the high-backed chair, we have Ken McClellan. He gets a headband of concentration. Peter Taylor gets a pickled shape-changer brain. Next up is Jeff Noon. Yeah, flipping Jeff Noon of vert fame. He gets a dehydrated mist from the Mithra Forest. At the highest level, the contour rug, you know, one of those semicircular rugs that you sometimes get round posh toilets, we've got Shane McGovern, and he gets a razor egg. That's a razor egg. Uh, an egg like a razor that you shave with, not one that you rub things out with. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Neil Glassford gets a cloak of deflections. Uh, second hand gets Spriggan's lamp. And uh, Colin Grant gets a sword of sharpness. But last but not least is Steve Rumney, who gets a potion of sobriety. Brilliant. I hope he brings it along to grog me. Thank you all very much. And until next time, adios amigos. Mm-hmm.